Welcome to the Stockout. This is your show at FreightWaves for all things related to the CPG industries and the retail industries. I'm your host, Mike Bowdendistel. Hope everyone had a good time last night. It was really a great uh, Super Bowl. Uh, so if you're coming out and getting your uh, week started, what I have for you today is I'm going to talk through Amazon and give a little bit of an update on the FTC lawsuit. I'll talk through a little bit about CPG companies, why they're unconcerned about the GLP drugs. I'll talk about the cocoa prices hitting new all-time highs and what that means for the likes of Hershey's, Mondelez, et cetera. And then I'll talk a little bit about a white paper that my colleagues at Freight Waves wrote on the freight industry called Asleep at the Wheel, why they're maybe expecting you know, potentially the freight market to turn uh, later this year. So I'll talk through some of those highlights. Um, I think that was a good uh, report. Um, but before I do uh, those things, I want to make sure everyone has a chance to sign up for the Stockout newsletter, which you can sign up for at www.freightwaves.com forward slash the Stockout, or just go to the site and go up at the top under newsletters, under supply chains. It's going to be the first one listed there. Try to get one of these newsletters out every week. Uh, try to include some commentary on the freight market, in addition to what's happening broadly in the retail and CPG industries, to try to talk about sort of the implications for other companies, if it's one sort of specific, um, you know, news story to one uh, sector or, or one company, what it means for for others. So try to make it relevant to a, to a broad uh, group when I uh, publish that every week. Um, so with that, uh, I want to talk through our first uh, topic, which is an update on the Amazon FTC lawsuit. If you haven't been following this, I, mean, I think it's really interesting. Uh, so this was a lawsuit that the Federal Trade Commission and 17 state attorney generals brought against Amazon in September. This was, um, there it is, September 23rd. And so they're alleging uh, that Amazon is abusing its monopoly position, and it's doing this in a number of different ways that are all reinforcing on, on each other. So for, for instance, that Amazon's harming consumers by the fact that they have all these web crawlers that look at other websites to see if those websites are have products that are being sold below what is being sold on Amazon. So it does not pertain to companies that are selling them directly for like a direct-to-consumer site, but it would pertain to another superstore or a Kroger. So um, if, if a company is selling less uh, someplace else than they are selling on Amazon, you know, potentially Amazon is punishing those sellers on the Amazon marketplace by having lower going being lower on the search results. So during those things, there's a question of whether Amazon is is being fair in having higher search results for companies that are buying advertising space. There's also a question of whether or not the, um, you know Amazon is being fair to Amazon marketplace sellers by requiring them to use Amazon fulfillment centers in order to qualify for Amazon Prime, you know, designation, which is really critical because Amazon Prime members buy about four times as much than non-Amazon Prime members, about $2,000 versus about $500. So it's really critical to be have that Amazon Prime uh, designation. And there's about 167 million people in the United States that have Amazon Prime. So it is most, is most people at, at this point. And then there was also this Project Nessie, which Amazon says is not relevant because they've gotten out of it, but essentially Project Nessie was looking at elasticities to see if they were to raise prices on Amazon, if other websites would follow suit and raise their prices, or would they keep them the same and those sellers end up being you know, potentially punished in the search results on, on, on Amazon. So all those things FTC alleges Amazon's doing 
They say that it's, it's anti-consumer. They say all those things are reinforcing each other, and, and they've built out this monopoly, essentially, um, with Amazon representing about 38 or 40 percent of online e-commerce. And so the, uh, that's sort of the background. The update is Amazon asked a federal judge to dismiss the case in, in December so that Am- Amazon says that they, this is actually lowered prices for consumers. The fact that they're in the marketplace um, is, is a benefit to consumers. They, they pointed out that um, the, the precedent um, d- does not see, you know, p- seek to punish behaviors that actually benefit con- consumers. So, you know, I mean, a lot of the stuff that, you know, going through the FTC lawsuit, the impression that I got is that it makes it, it's very difficult for third-party sellers to be profitable on Amazon. But I don't get the impression that consumers necessarily getting worse prices on Amazon, or if they are, maybe they're paying for that convenience and, and maybe paying a little bit of premium, knowing that um, they're, they're getting their products more, you know, qu- you know quickly um, and, and really sort of paying for that convenience. And, and, and for that reason, maybe it is, um, you know, to the benefit of consumers as Amazon, um, you know, uh, uh, says. So Amazon also says that uh, these practices are common in retail industry that, that the FTC was was lining out. They said, you know, Project Nessie w- was was not being used. So that's really not relevant. Um, and so it's not exactly clear uh, what the FTC is seeking. They, it's only clear what FTC thinks is Amazon is doing wrong. Um, but Amazon says that any potential changes could fundamentally alter Amazon's business, we can only sort of speculate what some of those changes are, maybe unwinding some of those things I just described, um, some of those practices that, that Amazon's doing, maybe a Chinese wall between, you know, the advertising and the search results, you know, something of that nature. Um, but one thing that's interesting is Amazon is asking the FTC to depose only 10 Amazon witnesses, whereas the FTC wants to depose over 100 people. So they're really not on the same page there. And then what's also strikes me is the, the the scale of just how much information. So it's 100 terabytes of information in, in the discovery process, equivalent to 50 million pages. And so Amazon's expecting the uh, um, expected de- depositions to begin in June. FTC has asked the court to set a deadline to be ready for the trial by May 2026. Amazon asked it to be pushed back to December of 2026. So this is going to be with us for some time. Uh, and it's... My perception on this is that if, if Amazon's taking advantage of anyone, maybe it is those third-party sellers, not so much the consumers. The, the sort of um, whole, I think, the FTC's argument is that if the consumer is really being taken advantage of by the by Amazon, the consumer doesn't know about it uh, based on their behavior. I mean, 91% uh, satisfaction rate for Amazon Prime, and most U.S. households have Amazon Prime, happily pay the $139. So if consumers, you know, are, are really being taken advantage of by Amazon, they don't seem to be um, showing it by shopping, um, you know, elsewhere. So it'll be very interesting to to, to, to watch. There is a good um, article by the Seattle Times, which I got some of those updates, you know, from uh, on sort of the latest uh, in terms of the timeline. So I encourage people to check that out. Um, so, so with that, um, I want to go into the next topic here, which is the. CPG companies seem to expect very little impact from the GLP drugs, Ozempic, and the like. It was a pretty significant bear thesis last year was that GLP drugs would reduce people's consumption. They seem to Im- impact people's cravings, just overall, you know, consumption levels make people just full and and, and not grabbing for another snack. 
but there are a couple of interesting, um, you know, comments from CPG executives. One of a couple of these were from uh, CNBC articles. Hershey's um, CEO Michelle Buck said, "Impact of GLP drugs, really not seeing an impact from that, and don't expect a material impact in 2024." Uh, Mondelez's um, CEO. Uh, said something similar. So Mondelez is the company that owns Oreo cookies, many chocolate brands, many uh, sort of snacking brands. They said that was, they sort of quantified, they said during the next 10 years, if five to 10% of the population is on that drug, that's potentially a reduction in calories of one to one and a half percent. So they, they wouldn't be concerned about a one and one and a half percent reduction in total calories. They say that's kind of in line with their range of, of of errors anyway when they project how much you know their sales are are, are going to be or their volume is going to be um you know the counter argument to that maybe is that these glp drugs cause such a reduction in strength and muscle that if you were going to be on them you think that you would be really pounding the the protein and that a calorie is not a calorie is not a calorie and you would cut back on unnecessary junk food more than you would cut back on on other things. So maybe it would be more than a reduction of one and one and a half percent on the types of products that a snacking company would 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 offer. But in any event, I do think that um, GLP Bear's thesis did get to be a little overblown uh, last year. A couple other interesting tidbits here um, from from Hershey's, and I'll get into this with the with the, the cocoa you know discussion as they expect their gross margins to fall. Um, about 200 basis points, um, re- really because the, the input costs are, are, are still rising. Um, Mondelez said that the M&A valuation targets have gone up um, kind of despite the higher interest rates. Uh, so, it, you know, I don't know. It doesn't, didn't sound to me like Mondelez is going to have another, um, you know, big blockbuster acquisition here like they had with, uh, you know, Cliff Bar, um, you know, here, uh, you know, recently. So, um, you know, Mondelez said that they're going to take price increases in in, in chocolate um, more so than the other types of, of snacking brands, and that gets into the next uh, topic, which um, really explains why that is. Is that the cocoa prices have really gone crazy, and so this is a chart, and it's it's really almost going parabolic at this point. So this is a, a cocoa chart. So this is um, from barchart.com. This goes all the way back to 1980. And so this broke through the all-time record in 1977 for cocoa prices, and they've roughly, you know, more than more than doubled this year. Went from from $2,500 a metric ton to 5886, um, you know, per metric ton. You know, Barons know the Hershey's could face a 30 to 90 percent increase in cocoa costs depending on um, their inventory and forward coverage. And so that's part of the reason why you know Hershey's, even though they're expecting a, a two or three percent um, sales growth this year, they're expecting roughly flat to down uh, you know, earnings and, and profitability. They said that they're um, expecting gross margin contraction about two hundred basis points. So it does take a little bit of time for uh, these CPG companies to catch up. You know, their their costs move faster than their on shelf prices, and the, the reason those cocoa prices are surging to the extent that they are, it really has to do with growing conditions in West Africa. Most of the cocoa is, uh, is farmed in West Africa. There's been decimated, um, you know, crops have been decimated by uh, adverse weather, uh, massive rains, massive dry spell, you know, coupled with with winds. So just really harsh growing conditions have given rise to pests and, and, and disease of some of these crops. Um, so just, just really tight on the supply. 
Um, and so what some of the, the analysts are saying as well, it's, it's, you know, you think of chocolate as being, you know, Valentine's Day. Yes, it's happening right in, in time for Valentine's Day, but it takes a while for those costs to seep through into the, the prices. So maybe it's going to have a bigger impact maybe on, on Easter or even a bigger impact on Halloween uh, chocolates. Um, but, um, you know, significant impact there for, for Hershey's and Mondelez. It was interesting that Mondelez said that, you know, their, their business is, is split between chocolates and various other snacks. And they said that the, the price are, are going to have to increase more on, on, on the chocolates. So that's a pretty good um, explanation why. There's also this the issue that sugar prices are at a still, it's still at a very elevated level, even if the worst are behind us. So this is a, a 10-year chart of sugar prices and you see it's it's really high uh, higher than it has been most of the past 10 years it did peak out in november so we might be past the the worst of it uh, really for a similar reason just difficult growing conditions this time in india where a lot of the um the the, the sugar uh is 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 found a uh, similar uh, you know issue just um you know difficulty with with wet you know conditions um so this baron's article speculated that they were sort of past the the worst of those things but those are you know, also part of the reason why a lot of the CPG companies last year were saying, you know, even though inflation's coming down, even though the retailers would like to see lower CPG prices, you know, a lot of the CPG companies were saying that their costs were still rising for some of the ingredients they were using. The sugar tends to be a big bulking agent in a lot of these CPG uh, items uh, for, for, for snacking. It's kind of the Use as a bulking agent. Part of the reason why the processed foods um, should 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 limit your amount of of, of processed food. So, th th all those things were were, were very interesting. Um, also, want to talk here about uh, the white paper that was just published uh, by my colleagues of Freight Waves, um, and we have a, a, a exhibit on that. So, we're, they called that a sleep at the wheel, shippers and freight market outlook for 2024. And so, this can be found um, at, on the Sonar white papers, you know, website. So you go to sonar.freightwaves.com forward slash white papers, and you should be able to, to find it and download it. And what they did with this one is they they surveyed 79 shippers last month. Um, and they did this based on, they wanted to do it after they conducted their 2023, 2024 bid season. You know, some of the, the companies may not be fully through the bid season. And this is um, what they expected. And so basically, what are you, you're, you're expecting for contract rates for 2024 versus 2023? There, there is some difference of opinion there where if you, if you look at sort of the, 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 the kind of like a bell-shaped curve there, 27% are expecting flat. You know, some are expecting the rates to be a little bit lower. Um, you know, some of the CPG companies I've talked to are in that highest one there with the, with the 10% or lower or, or more. At least on the intermodal side, some of those are, are, are you know, from from what I've heard, are down double digits. Um, and, and so, but it is it is a little bit of a mix based on what is being moved. But for the most part, let's call it down mid single digits. Um, and and the other thing that they the the research team found is that the the shippers awarded uh, positions in the routing guide to slightly fewer carriers, so just more of a focus on the core carriers. And it, there there is some strategic rationale behind that is you take care of your core customers when the freight market's uh, weak. Maybe they take care of you when the market turns. They're bringing up the case that maybe there's some degree of risk there just because they the, the non-asset base have a little, maybe a little bit more optionality. So it's uh, I think that's been part of why you've seen 
you know, job cuts at a lot of these not these non-asset based companies. A lot of the brokers re- really have um, you know cut a lot of people here recently. The asset based carriers have done a little bit better. Those are, the, are, are sort of the preferred carriers uh, for CPGs, retail companies when the, the the market's been weak, and it's been weak now for almost two years, which is longer than you would typically see in a freight market cycle. You think of a freight market cycle in terms of a, a of a trough, maybe lasting twelve to eighteen months, and in couple of few months we're going to be coming up on the on the, on the two-year mark so it is a little bit longer i think the reason it was longer was just the massive amount of capacity that came into the market during the the, the pandemic showed chasing high rates um that, that were in the marketplace during the pandemic so so all those things i think are, are, are leading to um the 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 shippers using um you know the the, the, the asset base carries a little bit more heavily. Uh, so another thing that was interesting from that report was on the inventory side. And so they asked um, the, the shippers what they they felt about inventory, and forty four percent of them thought they were on target. Thirty one percent they were said they were above target. Eighteen percent said they were they were below target. So there's there's you know some mix there um, when you sort of look at the inventory to sales ratios. Those have come down, you know, quite a lot. I think that's part of the reason why you're seeing um, you know imports. At, at a fairly high level, so the imports, you know, being higher than, you know, domestic freight demand is the replenishment of some of those um, those those inventory levels. Uh, what's interesting is we met with a, met with a um, sonar client recently that does a lot of a lot of importing, and what they said is, you know, before the pandemic, they would look at what the National Retail Federation would say about retail sales, and they would know exactly what to expect in terms of imports because they were always kind of right in line uh, with each other. Um, but you know, during the pandemic, the inventory has always been sort of too high or, or too low. And there's been this disconnect where the retail sales are doing one thing, inventory levels are doing another thing. And, and right now imports, you know, performing better than the, um, <clears throat> you know, the retail sales. And part of that seems to be right now, a lot of companies starting to replenish, uh, you know, inventory. Uh, that uh, white paper also goes and talk about you know some of the sonar charts. It goes into cyclical shift um, w- potentially for later this year, where capacity is coming down. You see that in carrier authorizations. You see that in total transportation employment. So there's evidence that capacity is coming out of the transportation network, and at the same time, there is evidence that freight demand is growing. You know, I think if there was a con- big consumer retrenchment um, because of the inflationary pressures, it would have happened by now, uh, not with Employment's still strong, not with the stock market hitting, you know, new highs. Um, S&P 500 keeps you know, hitting new highs. So I, I think that the consumer is actually in a, a decent place, despite some of those, um, you know, metrics you see, like very high, um, you know, credit card, uh, you know, balances. And I think that the, the shippers, based on what the, the survey's data shows, the shippers are generally aware that the cyclical trough in the freight market behind them, very few are, are attempting sort of really aggressive rate reductions in 2024 versus 2023. I think they've been a little bit more modest, at least on the truckload side. I, I, you know, I've seen on the intermodal side, those rate rate reductions um, be, be more significant. Um, so uh, the reason they they titled that, you know, uh, sleep at the wheel, I think it pertains to, to, to shippers, that the shippers may be unprepared for volatility uh, this year um, to reduce the number of transportation carriers in their routing guide. So there's potentially, if if the market turns and it can turn quickly, you could have busted routing guides just because you, know, you have fewer transportation uh, providers you know, in those routing guides. Uh, there was also a good article over the weekend that um, Zach Strickland wrote, who's the head of um, market intelligence here at Freight Waves, and you know he talked. It was it was along similar lines where 
he showed carrier authorizations with capacity coming out of the marketplace while um, demand is growing. And Zach gives some ideas to hedge against freight market volatility. And those include carrier and route guide diversification, uh, which is important, private fleet growth, which is something that you do see, you know, some from some of the big, um, some of the big shippers, uh, and increasing dedicated service. That's something you certainly see from some of the big shippers and then dynamic pricing moves with the market. So that's something like a cost plus agreement, something like an index link contract. I mean, I think a lot of those, um, you know, take a sophisticated shipper to do that in a little bit more of an innovative approach. They're not real, you know, commonplace. There was actually a question on that in the, in the white paper of whether they were using index link contracts and most shippers were not using those type of things. So those are all strategies that uh, could, could, be, could cost the shippers more in the near term, but could hedge against um, budget destroying events, like having to move too much of the, the, the freight spend into the, into the spot markets, um, which is, you know, what a lot of the shippers have you know, indicated on the, on the, on the surveys uh, that, you know, came back to us is really didn't have a plan to um, you know, use certain other carriers. It was really, some of this was just going to fall to the, to the spot market. So all those things, um, you know, interesting, encourage people to go, you know, check out that, um, check out that white paper. Um, and so, uh, encourage you to do that. Um, and some of the other topics that, um, like to, to speak about, um, going forward, them doing, doing some work on, I find it re- interesting in the retail space, a lot on AI. Uh, so this question of how, you know, AI is going to impact inventory management, I think is a really interesting, uh, issue. It seems like, you know, the, the retailers and CPG companies using AI to better predict, you know, inventory levels and where their goods should, should move using a wider range of variables than they have used in the past. So that's something I'll try to get some, a guest to, to, to speak about that. Um, you know, I think a hot topic sort of along similar lines I've been speaking about here has been hey, how should shippers position themselves to protect against a potential turn in the freight market coming later this year, have um, some guests lined up in the coming months that have some, um, you know, thoughts on that, uh, you know, how to, how to exactly to do that. And in some cases, it's maybe just not having contract rates where you push them down to the as low as you could possibly push them down and take, take you know, care of those um, carriers during the, the down market. So they'll take care of you during the, during the up market. Um, some of these other topics are the, you know, the pandemic era trends, such as you know, supply chain resilience, just in time, just in case inventory, multiple sources of suppliers, diversifying ports of entry. You know, in some cases, I've seen um, companies add distribution centers in more locations closer to the consumers, and some of that is just uh, for convenience to get those products, you know, to the consumers quickly. But you know, it, the question is, are those really worth uh, the, the the cost? I think some. Um, you know, people were going to have, have on, have, have some ideas on that. And then where we stand, stand with warehousing space right now and capacity right now. Um, and it seemed like now there's enough warehousing capacity just because there's been, um, you know, inventory levels have been brought down to a reasonable level the, the, and, and we'll, we'll get more detail on that. And then, you know, I think the Kroger, Kroger Albertsons um, transaction is is very interesting. They seem to be approaching the CPGs as one united company. Uh, it does seem to me like that transaction is going to close, maybe with some more divestitures, although they did make a big move to divest about 413 stores. And then another interesting topic is all these, all these ultra-processed foods. Are they really 
kind of the boogeyman that they're made out to be. I think that's a bigger risk to the CPG companies, just people going away from ultra processed foods than um, you know, anything related to the GLP uh, drugs. Um, because you, I think people recognize that the ultra processed foods have, you know, sort of a lot of sugar, a lot of ingredients that aren't, aren't natural. And I think, um, CPG companies potentially could add SKUs to, to highlight how some of them are not ultra processed, which, uh, you know, right now I think, um, you know, there's lots of ingredients that just, if they're difficult to pronounce, they're probably not found in, in, in nature. So those are all topics that you want to hit on in coming episodes of the stock out. I think there's a lot um, related to the technology side as well. Just saw over the weekend that Walmart is going to start to have um, you know drone service in DFW uh, area, playing a role that out. So I haven't seen any yet here in Dallas, but um, keeping my eye open, eyes open. And then Aldi starting to experiment with uh, technology similar to what Amazon has. We can go into the store and just walk right out. Um, so you see, I've seen that in you know, sports stadiums to get people um, you know, in and out quickly uh, for, the, for the concessions. So all those things I think are, are, are interesting. You have Walmart with the scan and go. So all these uh, companies starting to be leaning into convenience um, as, as, as much as anything else. So try to hit on all those topics on um, the stockouts. And um, you know, with that, if anyone needs anything, anything from me, I can be found at mbowdendistill at freightwaves.com. And I hope everyone has a good day.